This episode of The Taylor Stevens Show is brought to you by listeners, readers, and patrons. If you'd like to learn how to support this podcast, please visit www.patreon.com slash Taylor Stevens. Hi, this is Taylor Stevens. <laughs> I don't even know my own name today. <laughs> best-selling and award-winning author of kick-ass international thrillers and this is the taylor stephen show with my good friend steve campbell where we are kicking writing in the butt one word at a time and if if we didn't include this in the intro uh, you may not know that taylor fumbled her own name while introducing the show (laughs) and the reason for that is that we're testing some new software to record to record the process to record the podcast and now i can't talk either so we have had over over time since Taylor has moved to the farm, um, she is occasionally bandwidth starved. So we get into situations where we get these glitches in the recording, and regular listeners will will know what I'm talking about. Uh, some of those I can edit out, some of them I can't. Uh, this is something that we're testing to see if it's see if it will get rid of the glitches the way it's supposed to work is that it's recording locally on both our computers, and then it merges the two together into one seamless, beautiful audio file. And we'll see if it actually works that way. That's for the, the first goal, time anyway. ever, there was a countdown that goes five, four, three, two, one. And Taylor totally panicked. I did not panic. I just flubbed. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, that, that's our chit chat. We don't numbers. we don't have any animal chit chat. We've we've just got Taylor panicking because of a countdown. I mean, I could tell another Leo story if we want cat <laughs> stories, but I think everybody's probably getting bored of those by now. Well, we could take a week off from the cat stories. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we could talk about the playoffs, so, Taylor. I'm sure you've been thrilled with the playoffs and you've been watching. Oh yeah, everybody knows I love watching sports. Yes. Yes. So I actually did have something I wanted to ask you about, and that is okay. the ice storm that I saw on on the news last night when we were out to dinner. Yeah. Did, did you get did you get whacked? That's, that's our, oh, yeah, we got whacked. Um, we're still sitting in it. It's supposed to be done right. About, I haven't been outside yet today, but yesterday was then today was supposed to be the worst of it. But yeah, we're, we're coated in ice and um, everything's iced over outside roads closed and stuff but not to the point like ever since we had that big freeze in 2020 (laughs) that's the that's the bar the bar has been set (laughs) anything less than that yeah not a big deal (laughs) haven't lost power haven't lost water uh it's not so freezing cold that i'm worried about putting coats or jackets on anybody outside and yeah it's 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 really just slightly under freezing with a lot of wet. So it's all iced did you, over. Did, I, I was talking to a friend who's also getting the ice earlier today, and she was talking about neighbors who were having branches breaking off their trees and things like that. Are you having any of that action? I haven't seen it myself personally, but I'm not really spending a lot of time outdoors right now. Um, I'm sure after things thaw out and I start walking around and looking, I might find some stuff, but it's all going to be away from the house. There's nothing like no trees have fallen on the house or 
important structure. That's all that matters. The rest of it we can deal with over time, you know. Are the goats like a uh, still life art installation out there? No. <laughs> Definitely not. At this temperature, it just really doesn't bother them that much. I think that um, the precipitation, they, they don't like getting wet. So they'll go into shelter if they're starting to okay. get wet. But the cold itself, they can handle a lot more than that. Okay. So they're not iced up and frozen solid. Anymore. No, just wet. Because it's it's not that cold. Like, their body heat would melt anything that touched them anyway. Because, you know, fur coats they naturally have. And for our listeners who don't look at the title, we've probably kept them in suspense long enough about what our topic <laughs> is today. <laughs> so what are we what are we going to be chatting about today, Taylor? I mean, ultimately, it's it is what is suspense, but we're kind of going to come at it sideways, and we're not really going to break down what is suspense. We're just going to talk about what it actually looks like on the page in a few specific instances. Um, in recent episode. There was a book that was brought up, Cavendish Home for Boys and Girls, and I used some examples from it in terms of, you know, the omniscient point of view and a few other things. And at the time that I was quoting from that book, I hadn't read the whole thing. And I was just like, I'm just really digging this. I think it's incredibly well done. And here's some examples from the book for, for what we were talking about. But I did finish the book and I really enjoyed it. I love the writing. I love the character building. I love the way the story unfolded. I did have a little side thought box thingy in my head for that. In that, it, I think it's a horror story, but and I don't really read horror generally speaking, so I don't actually know. But it's a children's version of it. But it's also a mystery. You've got this young sleuth who's sort of figuring out what's going on while experiencing all these horrific elements. But there were some of those elements, like the way they're articulated in the story, you can work with them. But after it was over and I was thinking about it, the literal meaning of what actually was being referred to there, it's like I felt nauseated and horrified. And I was like, oh, my God, how on earth did that make it into a children's book? But that was just like one small aside as far as the storytelling went, it was just absolutely fantastic. And I just, I don't understand how this book doesn't have 10 times as many reviews as it does. I mean, obviously it was well-received. It's got in the hundreds of reviews on Amazon, which is where, you know, most of them show up. But I would have thought it would be in the tens of thousands. And it, it reminded me a little bit of what people were saying when the informationist was first published, like a lot of people were like, I just can't believe this is a deep debut book. And that's what I felt reading this particular story is like, how is this the first book she's ever written? It is just so beautifully written. So there's so much going for it. And I really don't have any notes. But as I got towards the end of the story, I found myself skipping huge chunks of it, just skipping, 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 skipping. And after it was all over, I started thinking, like, why was that? Why did I skip so much of the end of the story? And it was 
an interesting question for me because up until that part of the story, I had been right there. I'd been paying attention to every single detail. I I was just with it. So why did I start skipping? And it wasn't the writing that made me skip. I mean, the writing itself, the writing craft, that just held up from start to finish. And you'll see that a lot of times when stories open, they start strong, and then it just sort of starts to fall apart as the story goes. By the time you get to the end, it's like it's not even written by the same person. This book wasn't that. Like, it was solid beginning to end. All the story elements tied together, whether you appreciate the way they tied together or not, that's up to you. But the author did what storytelling is meant to do. And normally when I enjoy the writing, I'm really in no hurry. I'm in no hurry to be hurried because good writing can sometimes be really hard to come by. And I tend to savor it and enjoy it. So again, why the skipping? And so, you know, when you think about it, skipping is really, at its essence, a lack of engagement. When a reader starts skipping, it means that you, as a storyteller, you've temporarily lost their interest. So if it wasn't the writing itself that lost my interest, the only other things it could be is that the story itself lost my interest, or something happening in the story right then caused me to lose interest. And it wasn't the story because I didn't stop reading. So that means... It was something that was happening on the page right then in that particular time and space in the story that I had just begun skipping. So I'm going to try and explain it where I think this is all about and how it ties into suspense. But of course, as always, I have to make a disclaimer. Sorry. My disclaimer on this one is that my judgment is probably isn't exactly accurate because I was skipping. So that means I probably missed. No, I definitely missed stuff. Maybe I even missed important stuff. So any granular level analysis, you just got to take that with a grain of salt. So what I'm really getting at here more sort of big picture stuff, the way it left me feeling as a reader, the way I responded to what I was reading by skipping. So the point where I started skipping, that was the lead up to the denouement. Is that how you, I don't know how to pronounce that word. I just know it means the big, the big thing <laughs> at the end, like everything's been leading up to this, the big reveal or whatever. So up to that point in the story, everything that turned up on the page was sort of new. You've got this young character that knows something is off and then is now in a very bad situation and trapped, but beginning to figure it out. And with each new phase, more details are being brought into the story. And this story, all stories, the way it works is as new information is brought onto the pages are clues to the reader that are giving them the pieces they need to engage with and understand what's happening. They're like clues to building a puzzle. And that doesn't, doesn't mean just a mystery or it could, it could be any genre. That's just how it works. The information you relay, the order in which you relay it, the point of view through which you choose to relay it, all of those are pieces that create a story together as a whole. And those are all your choices as a storyteller. And sometimes that's the hardest part of writing a story is not the writing. It's figuring out which pieces to put where through what lens and how to actually form the story into a whole. So usually in in any story, those pieces are continually being laid down bit by bit so that as the pages turn and you progress through it, there's always something new 
a new revelation about the character, new movement in the plot, new conflict. And as old things get resolved, more things come together. And gradually the, the entire story world is understood as a whole to the reader. That is what storytelling is. So it, by the time I got to this part of the story, the end of it, pretty much all the questions had more or less been answered. There was not a whole lot left to figure out what was going on. Now it was more about how are the pieces going to come together as a result of those answers. And this is also something that's very common in storytelling. Um, there's very few, I mean, I don't even, couldn't name one if I tried, a story where the final piece comes together in the final sentences of the book or the final last few seconds of a movie. There's almost always you get all your answers and then they have to come together and then you get your satisfaction of completion from that. And then sometimes after that, there's a little bit more that sort of ties up the loose ends, what have you. So we're at that part of the story where the answers have all sort of been answered. The questions have all sort of been answered. And now we're waiting to see how they're all going to tie together. And that's all leading up to the big reveal. So the very, very abbreviated answer to why I started skipping was I wanted to get to the point. Just tell me what happens already. I, I, so am I like that for most books? No, no, I, I don't skip much in books. But the parts that I do skip tend to be similar to what I was skipping here. So what was it about this that made me feel like it was taking too long to get to the point? In this particular instance, it was that all the questions had been answered, were leading up to see how those answers tie together and play out, and it just kept going and going. And it was shown by characters going here and then seeing what was happening elsewhere. It was showing by how the various fantastical elements were reengaging with the story and up until that point in the story, the entire thing had been quite visual. The description had been just spectacular in terms of bringing to life really fantastical elements without spending a long time going into detail about them because they were shown through the character's journey. It's exactly how it's supposed to be done. No complaints. But as we turned towards the end where we didn't need answers anymore, we had all our clues, that same type of storytelling no longer worked because the, as the story was going from the beginning, every single time something was described, it was part of the, the journey, the discovery, the new information that was being um, unfolded. But by the time we got to this final part of the story, the information had already been unfolded. And now it really just amounted to description and action with very little sense of how that interacted with the characters. And it was, I suppose, complicated by the fact that the story is told in an omniscient point of view. So none of what was being shown at this point was done so specifically from one character's um, inner world. And 
the limitations that can create is that it can be easy to forget that story is about character. So when all this stuff is happening, it was just stuff that was happening without much, if any, of pointing to how it specifically engaged with that character, how that character was experiencing what was happening. It was just stuff. And so it was a lot of show, which was awesome, but with very little inner character. And inner character is one of the key ingredients for laying out stakes. You know, is the character afraid? What are they afraid of? You know, that's driving their choices and their actions. And you get a sense of what's going to happen if they're not successful. Those are stakes. And stakes are one of the key ingredients for emotional engagement. So lack of emotional engagement meant I no longer cared about what was happening, present tense. I didn't care about the description. I didn't care what the characters were thinking or feeling because I wasn't given anything along those lines. And because I didn't care about what was happening, present tense, I just wanted to get to what would happen, which is the punchline, the what all of this is leading up to. So I started skipping and I started skimming because I didn't care about that stuff anymore. I cared about what would happen when the characters finally engaged again, right? So a few thoughts to keep in mind here is one, I realize I am not the average reader. I read for different reasons. I'm impatient. I hate when stuff drags on. And I suspect that there are readers out there who are the exact opposite of me, who will read every single word, no matter how little it engages them, and they don't skip at all. I want and to I kind meet of see one it of as a readers. continuum. <laughs> <laughs> me too. <laughs> I want that very much. I, I see it as a continuum, right? Where you've got impatient readers like me way over on the one extreme end, and then you've got very patient readers who are the exact opposite over on the other side. And then, then I suspect most readers probably fall somewhere in between on that. Right. So it's possible that most readers would get to that spot in the book and not feel any of the impatience that I felt like I might be having a far more extreme reaction to it than your average reader would. Okay. Let's just make sure we've got that covered, but let's just go ahead and assume for the sake of this discussion that my lack of interest and lack of engagement at that part of story was something that's closer to the middle of the continuum, right? Something that other readers might also have skipped. Why was it happening? Why does it feel like this material is just getting dragged out and taking longer to get to the point is necessary? And then the question is, does the author even know? Is the author even aware? Because as authors, we know logically that people skip. (laughs) We're readers too, right? We know it's a thing, but we don't really think maybe it's happening to our material. And your goal as an author is that engagement. You don't want readers to skip. So obviously you're going to, what does show up on the page is what you as the author thinks is important. You're not putting it there thinking, yeah, the readers will just skip this. You're putting it there thinking readers are going to read it. So if they're skipping it, where's the disconnect, right? So I think, honestly, it's a, a really fairly common thing that that disconnect happens because material gets dragged out and takes longer to get to the point than is necessary. And I find it especially seems to happen in cases of suspense, like 
the author is trying to create suspense or wants it to be suspenseful. So a common example, this is like one of my biggest pet peeves. And again, I realize that I'm not the average reader, so it's not going to bother everybody. Maybe it doesn't bother anybody but me, but it'll be when, for example, in a book, the fights just go on and on, blow by blow, play by play. And the entire thing is just sort of this physical description of what's happening and I couldn't care less. I want to get to the point. Who wins the who wins the fight? And what is the aftermath of all of that? And I tend to write my fight scene. My fight sequences do not take up a lot of um, space on the page because I write what I want to read. And when they do take place, there's actually very little physical description or blow by blow or play by play. It's very much an emotional response from the character, how they're responding to it, why they're doing what they're doing, the decision-making process that's going into all of it. And it's slowed down, as we've talked about, beat by beat, but it's not drawn out. I, I, I can't stand it when it gets drawn out. So I'm on a quest to keep it as short as possible while also not cheating the scene. And so that's one aspect where you see it show up. Another would be like, say, a character's breaking into somewhere, right? Trying to get beyond a guarded fence or into a house. And it just takes forever for them to go through all the steps and to get where they need to be. I don't care. Just give me the basics. Make sure that the logic is set up, that they've got the tools that they need, that they have the skills that they need. And then I want to see what happens. Do they get caught if they get caught, how do they get out of it? But just the the stuff happening is not interesting. I'm sure our listeners could think of a dozen other situations where that type of stuff shows up. I tend to see it in the more thrillery, mystery type books because that's my genre. But I'm sure it also shows up in every genre where it just you get to the point already, please, and skip all of this stuff. So as storytellers, we're also readers. And if we know as readers that this is an issue, why is it showing up in our stories? And I I think it mostly happens for two reasons. And this is where the point of hacking the craft comes into play, is as a storyteller, you need to be aware of this in your own storytelling. And there might be other reasons too. These are just the, the two that I think of would be primarily driving the issue is one is there's this mistaken idea that the longer you drag out getting to the reveal, the bigger the reveal will feel like you're building intensity and you're, you're building up this anticipation of what's going to happen. And I need to tell you right now, it does not work that way. Unless there's in that buildup, in that anticipation, there's something that directly connects to character and connects to the stakes involved, nobody is going to care. It is just words on the page. It is filler. I know it's not filler when you're writing it. You're putting it there because you think it matters. But to the reader, it's filler because they just want to get to the point. They want to get to where they see what happens because of all of that stuff. So that's what I think is the first thing. This this mistaken idea that the longer you tease it out, somehow you're building suspense when actually the opposite is true because people start skipping. The second 
is that there's this worry or this fear that by making it too short, you're somehow robbing the story, the overall story of suspense, and you're cheapening the outcome, and that it's not going to feel satisfying because you didn't make it substantial enough. And this is a very genuine thing that can happen. So the concern is justified. It's not a mistaken concern, right? So I run into that second part of it myself frequently, like all the time when I'm writing stuff. And so I know from personal experience that when you're in the weeds of writing those scenes, it can be really difficult to accurately gauge whether or not that part of it is dragging on too long or if you've gone too short. So in my experience, you don't worry about it when you're writing the scene. That's something you save for second or third drafts. And the reason you save that for second or third drafts is a forest versus trees issue. When you're writing the scene, you're really up close into it and you can't see it. You, you understand what's in the scene and how it relates to the broader picture, but you can't see the full weight of the scene as how much it takes up compared to everything else because you haven't touched everything else for God only knows how long because you're in the middle or at the end of a 60 to 100,000 words that you've been writing for for however, however long. You know, maybe you're fast. It's only been a month. You'll probably remember everything a little bit easier. If it's been a couple of years, <laughs> me, um, yeah, you're not going to. So you write your scene and you keep on writing and you get through to the end. And in your second or third drafts, as you're reading it, as, as your level of editing starts getting smaller and smaller through your drafts, and you're mostly just reading and, and fixing tiny, tiny little tweaky things, that's when the full weight of the scene arrives in context with everything that surrounds it on both sides. That's when you can get a sense of, is it going too long? Is it too short? Have I robbed the scene? Does it need more? All of those questions. That's where you get a sense for the weight of the scene in context of the entire story. And then you can make your changes. So ultimately, even though we're talking about this as suspense, what does suspense look like when it shows up on the page? And that actually would be a really good discussion for for a follow-up episode, but it means I'd actually have to do the brain work of giving examples and (laughs) I'm not there yet. But besides the suspense part of it, this at its heart is a pacing issue. In a scene like I was reading, where the story, the details were there, and I just started skipping because I wanted to get to the point, meant the pace was too slow. The pace of the story was too slow. Things needed to be condensed, compressed, to speed that part of the story up to get to the point faster. So that is, I guess, where I'm coming from in this discussion of what suspense looks like on the page. And I I have a very clear example in my head of one that I was up against. And I can't say that I did it correctly or not, but I remember vividly, not just when I was writing it, but also way later when I came back and read it again. And that is in the story of Liar's Paradox. If you hadn't read it, I'm going to try and do this with minimal spoilers, but there are definitely going to be spoilers. So, 
Liar's Paradox is a story. It is what happened. It is family dysfunction in the family of assassins, right? You've got the matriarchal figure who's just this enigma that the that kids think are is a you know paranoid narcissistic nut job and who may or may not be and that she may be but also might be telling the truth at the same time and then you've got these highly skilled 20 somethings that are just completely unfit for normal life because of how easy it is for them to just not be normal people <laughs> And the the story is a, a mix of the past coming back to, to haunt the present. And we finally, towards the middle of the story, start getting glimpses of the mother. We start seeing things through her point, her point of view. And we begin to understand that there are powerful figures in play pulling strings that have caused all of the drama. And the mother decides that she's going to take matters into her own hands and put an end to things. And this requires her getting herself into a place that ultimately ends up being somewhat like a fun house mirror maze, right? So she, when she gets to this place in the story, and by now the story has had just all this lead up and we are almost at the exact end of it. And there becomes this question of, as the storyteller, do I actually show all of this? Or do I just kind of condense it and say what happened and move on? And I, I made the storytelling choice that if I did not actually show this encounter, that the story itself would be cheated. So I needed to show it. And that meant needing to make sure that there was enough drama and enough conflict on the page to justify the scene being there. Because if there's no conflict or drama... We're not really driving. the. It's just plot and character. And we're missing that third leg, that third ingredient of what makes a scene a scene. So to do that meant that the character need to be facing obstacles with very, very high stakes, which is what unfolded the scene as it was. And then it becomes a question of how much struggle does the character have to go through in order to get to where they need to be? And that's the balance. Do I drag this out? Well, no, you never want to drag it out. But it has to be complicated and complex enough that it's not easy for the character. If the character can just waltz in there and do whatever they want, then there's no, there's no conflict. There are no stakes. So it's this tightrope walk of how do you force the character to go through enough steps that it makes this it it justifies having the scene to begin with, but not so many steps that it just goes on and on to where it just feels like you're just repeating different versions of the same thing. And the end result in Liar's Paradox in that scene is the balance that I ended up coming to. But as I was writing it, there was a lot more detail, a lot more things getting in the way. And Going through the second draft, the third draft, is when I was like, okay, this is too much. Let's just not show this part and just reduce it to being movement that we see through, you know, and this this led to that, led to that, led to that, and then down a hallway and da-da-da, and now we're here at the next part where the actual next 
moment that actually really matters is going to take place. So it's this, these links on a chain, right, that are leading, leading us through the conflict on the page. But in some places, I removed a couple links in order to speed up the action to where we got to the point a lot faster. And as storytellers, that is sort of what underlies so much of scene writing. It's just that when you're dealing primarily with action and creating suspense, the flaws are a lot more, the flaws in your logic as an author for how you've chosen to do what, they're going to show up a lot more obviously because nobody wants to read just the ongoing keeps going, keeps going, keeps going. We want to see the re-engagement with life. We want to see the re-engagement with other characters. We want to see the story itself keep moving, not just the action, the intensity. So it's that balance. You need enough to justify having the scene. You need enough to justify everything that came before it that made this point in time the moment that it is but not so much that people start skipping because it starts getting boring. And so if there's any flaw in this book that at all, and who's to say it really is because I'm not your average reader, it would have been that it got dragged out a little too long toward the end. And that comes from that sense of I need to make it big or I'm afraid of making it too small. And there is no, there's no right way or wrong way. It's just, is it right for the story? And how does it land with the highest percentage of readers that you can possibly get? So that's what I've got on that. And I did raise a question. It's like, well, what, what is suspense really ultimately? And to me, suspense is something that keeps the reader glued to the page. To me, suspense means the reader is afraid to skip out of fear of missing something important, some critical detail or critical clue. So that is sort of um, a temperature gauge when you're stuck in these scenes where you're not sure, is it too much? Is it not enough? You know, how, I, where, do, where does this fall? You're looking for the glue that keeps the reader there, right? So what is there what is so important on the page that's happening right now that the reader dare not skip because something important might happen? If you haven't got anything like that happening right then and there, then that's probably your first clue that you're writing, you're taking it too long and you're risking lack of engagement. That's where I'm at. That's, uh, that's really good stuff. I, as, as you know, Taylor, I read a lot of suspense, thrillers, uh, that kind of thing. And inevitably, there are two parts in a book where I will skip. And one is typically the obligatory fight scene in like the first third of the book to establish character credentials as a tough guy or a tough gal or or whatever. Right. Uh, yeah. those, those can just go on forever. But almost always, I find myself in the last 20% of the book just skipping through things like I know they're not going to die here. Get me to the ending. Exactly. I want to know what happens. 
And I'd never really thought of it before. It's just like, I, and I don't see that as lack of engagement for me as the reader. I see it as I'm so engaged in the story that I just don't want to read this. I want to find out what happened. So the lack of engagement isn't the lack of engagement with the story. It's the lack of engagement with what's happening on the the page right there and right right then. then. It's just not, yeah, Yeah. right then. I I know there is absolutely no way that the character is going to be shot and killed 25 pages from the end. Right. And so it's not like those scenes don't need to exist. It's just that they run too long. As a general rule, I really try to keep fight sequences to under two pages of whatever a page is for that particular story. The, the exception to that is if there's a, um, a banter or a dialogue going on between the two characters or information is being pulled out of one through throughout it all. But the focus then of the fight is not the fight. The fight then becomes a vehicle to deliver the information through the dialogue, to deliver the character uh, growth or, you know, exploration, whatever it is. The fight is not the point. The fight is a vehicle. And we've talked many times about how every scene deserves, you know, needs to have a purpose and how if it's not character, plot, or conflict, then if the scene doesn't have character plot or conflict, then there is no point to the scene. But we've also talked about how ideally you're going to have two of those elements, plot, conflict, character, plot, you know, whatever it is, you need at least two, preferably three. So the point of a fight sequence should never be the fight itself. That's just the plot. But you're looking for the emotional conflict underneath it you're looking for the stakes underneath it. You're looking for the, the character development underneath it. And you're looking to drive the story forward. If you're not getting that from the quote unquote exciting stuff that you're putting on the page, then that exciting stuff is not exciting. It's just noise. It's filler and nobody's going to read it. Okay, so we're running a little bit long and we don't want any of that filler stuff in this show. So we're going to wrap it up here. So, Taylor, thanks for the great insights. I'm amazed that you got that much out of that uh, little book that you were reading, uh, really to to explore omniscient viewpoint, I think. And uh, so, that, yeah, thanks, thanks for the education. This was good stuff. It was fun for me, too. Thanks for being here, guys, and we will see you again next week. 